Hello. Fancy seeing you guys here. Cool. That's what you, that's what you went with for an opening. <laughs> don't end it. Don't stop it. You got cold feet and stopped the recording. And there's to also open with that. there's also a recording of Danny saying, "Don't stop that." To prove that it's already happened. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to Beer Time with Books. We are on a three streak right now for the beer and books, so we got to call it official at some point. Beer Time with I Books. I was calling it official. Oh, the title. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> last the podcast has been official. <laughs> the last time I, I just said capital T, capital P, the podcast, for whatever reason. But it feels official enough, and we haven't come up with any better ideas. <laughs> That's so. really most of it. <laughs> so here we are. Uh, but this is going to be part two of Lincoln and the Bardo. We have one other episode, if you haven't checked that out. It is the first half of the book that was released uh, a couple weeks ago. Yep, right about two. Right about two. And we are, uh, we're back at it. It's the middle of December. Finals are winding down for uh, the teacher's students over here. That's Jamie. And for me. And for you, that's fair. I have to do things. That's fair. To grade the finals. So we're getting into that. It's almost uh, the holiday break for work as well. And uh, what a cheery book to be reading <laughs> right about now. But uh, before we get into all of that, let's get into uh, what are we drinking. And I think uh, I've started, Jamie has started, Danny. Hit us with what you're drinking I'm this drinking week. I'm drinking what Jamie's drinking, which is just Boulevard Wheat something. We broke the Odell streak, though. No Odell this time. Oh, that's true. Boulevard Wheat something. That's what it is. <laughs> Boulevard Wheat. I'm not going to take it out of something. You can take yours. You know what it is. Um, I'm drinking Boulevard's Tank 7. We are repping that KC beer. Mm-hmm. Technically, it is Boulevard Unfiltered Wheat. That's it. That's all it just is. Unfiltered Wheat. Yeah. Uh, yeah, here I am, Jamie. I'm here. Oh, yeah. I'm Brian. I'm back. The only male voice on the podcast, in yeah. case you haven't noticed already. Jamie and I get confused, confused. <laughs> or people get us confused quite a bit, All if it's time. just our voices, yeah. Uh, also, last week, going on with some of the segments that we've had, we talked about um, some of the other interesting media we've been consuming recently. And we'll also start with Danny for that one. Uh, media? Yeah. Um, I'm continuing to listen to My Favorite Murder. I'm going to just keep talking about that podcast. How deep are you now? We have we have bookmarks of where you've been. Oh, you're right. So I'm 50 episodes in. Um, and I was just telling Jamie that I'm not enamored with it. But I like the true crime aspect. Um, and I think they're funny. I don't love their storytelling all the time. I'm not obsessed with them, but... I think they're funny and it's enjoyable and I've been listening to it when I run <clears throat> which I think is maybe a mistake sometimes just like running on a path listening to people who get murdered yeah pe- about people all of the ideas of how on- it can happen yeah, to no, you really. on your they're run like, yeah. oh yeah they, she got <laughs> shot on the path behind her house and I'm, like, like, I'm on a path I'm on a path right now um that's what I've been listening to I've been wanting to start the OJ Simpson thing mm. show on netflix it's not new but the american crime story is mm-hmm. that what it was yeah so that's on my list for yeah. the winter i've heard good things about that upcoming winter things yeah i've been reading meet me in the bathroom is what the book is called it is a history of the new york rock and roll scene from 2001 to about 2011 that is a quote from a song uh there's not as much prostitution as that uh that title would imply but uh there's a lot of bands that people are probably familiar with the strokes notably starting off um big parts of that scene in 2001 and then i'll be making my way along but i always enjoy uh books about music um i read the miles davis autobiography two years ago and it was also surprisingly similar now that i think about it because a lot of the beginnings of his career was in New York in the mid 20th century and so this is a little bit farther than that but it's been pretty enjoyable so far and I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes um do student essays about the crucible count as media Mm. yeah absolutely okay that's media gold uh that's what I've been reading there 
they've had a lot of plagiarized material in them from online publications. So that's media I've been reading also. Yeah. Um, plagiarized material. Lit charts and spark notes and... Lit spark, the <laughs> joining of the two. Yeah. Um, that's most of my time right now, but I, in general, listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, I don't know. I, I today listened to If I Were You with Jake and Amir, classic college humor <laughs> bros. Um, and I'm still watching Game of Thrones with Brian. We are in season three, I think. Over halfway. Yeah. Um, Stuff goes down. I have seen it already. I've read the books. I forgot how much in season three there are like significant events. Yeah. What are, um, your, what are your feelings? I still <laughs> mostly just care about Danny. Mm-hmm. Um, Same. That's really. I, there, Is that just a hidden narcissistic statement? I also just care Absolutely. about Danny. <laughs> Hot take, real quick. Oh, let's... I feel like Game of Thrones treats her as a side character, and I think she's the most important one. There are often episodes where we don't see her at all, and we always see freaking Tyrion. I... Cersei is in every yeah. goddamn episode. I that think. Change. Yeah, give it time. That you just you know. Okay. Well, right now I'm pissed you're, about it. No, you're right. <clears throat> and you should be pissed. There are characters... Frankly, we should all be pissed. <laughs> there are characters that leave for, like, entire seasons, so... Mm. There's, uh... He was playing the long game. Yeah. Is, sorry, is playing yeah, the long game. Yeah, it's, it's not over yet. It's not over yet. So, uh, yeah, that's been the update on some of the media, and now let's get into the uh, meat of the episode here. So we did have, uh... <laughs> We did have some discussion on Lincoln and the Bardo on our previous episode, as I mentioned earlier, but that was only the first half of the book. And so this will be pretty interesting uh, revisiting this story now that we know a lot of the resolutions for a lot of characters. Uh, It also answered some of the questions that we had posed last week. So I'm really excited to get into this, but uh, we'll just get into a quick summary of the book just to kind of get everybody up to speed on uh, what had happened in the first part and what happened here on the part that we just read for this episode. But essentially, Lincoln and the Bardo um, follows the story of Willie Lincoln's death. That's Abraham Lincoln's son. It's um, based on a true story. story. (laughs) Based on true events. True events is more accurate, actually. Where did you read that? We were talking about this before the podcast. I was trying to to look something up that I had a question about, which we will get to later. But um, the first review that I clicked on online, the first sentence of the review of Lincoln and the Bardo was, based on a true story, (laughs) which I feel like... Of Hans. I feel like that is misleading. It's it's a true event. I feel like the death. Of we Willie. don't know what really happened. DC is kind of crazy. I feel people. like they There's needed a to supernatural word it as vibe like going on. a supernatural story revolved around the death of Willie Lincoln. The true story of right. the death of Willie Lincoln, <laughs> not based on a true based story. Based on these ghosts that we chatted. So with. here's an interesting thing. I saw an interview with George Saunders, and he did confirm that he talked to the ghost. Wow. That, that is confirmed. He fact. has them on camera. So wow, you're wrong. Wait, Oh, wow. God. <laughs> uh, but regardless, uh, based on a true story for that part in particular, but obviously in the book we get into some uh, supernatural uh, supernatural circumstances with a lot of the characters that are in this purgatory state, and we get a lot more information this time around in part two about the structure of the afterlife. Um, I I think I read, you know, multiple parts that kind of talked about the politics of the afterlife and about the possibilities of what can happen to anybody that's in this purgatory. Uh, We also get more information on Abraham Lincoln as he continues to grieve for his son. Um, But I think uh, the main part here for the second part is 
Lincoln really coming to terms with the fact that he has lost his boy and that the war is heating up and it's kind of centering around those two things. I know that there is a lot with the afterlife, but obviously when you're looking at the title of the book, it is framed around these circumstances that have to do with Abraham Lincoln himself. So uh, I think that the second part was was really fantastic. And I think what was so cool about it was that this story couldn't have been told at any other point in history of the Civil War. It was very limited and it worked to its benefit because this is all really revolving around one night, essentially. And, you know, if it was any longer, we would see more about the war we would see more about Abraham Lincoln, but as it stands, people are unhappy with Abraham Lincoln. Things aren't going so well. He lost his son. He got some information back about everyone that had been lost in the war, and I really enjoyed the fact that it was limited in that way, and I don't know if you guys felt the same way, that that limitation was a positive for you, or how did you feel about how it was structured now that you know uh, how far the story actually goes? I was thinking a lot while I was reading the whole thing, and I, I think this answers your question. I don't know. I was focused on our dog crying a little bit. Um, <laughs> but I was so focused so much on the, the thought of George Saunders for maybe the past, like, <clears throat> five years, finding every book that he could about the Civil War because he was just interested in it. And then noticing all these little tidbits, like this is my imagination of how he wrote this, of noticing all these small things about this one particular night. Because the books that those are um, cited from, if they're real citations, which I think most of them are, but the books that he like quotes there are not just over like Willie Lincoln's mm-hmm. death. They're like the Civil War years, mm-hmm. Abraham Lincoln. So I just like imagine him being like kind of obsessed with this one part of history, which a lot of people go through that. And then like trying to find a way to like move that obsession into creativity, into a creative project. Um, and I find that really beautiful and like makes me want to write a book like this because I do that with little moments and, and I love research. Like that's, it felt like research. Mm-hmm. Um, like we talked about last time, it felt like, like if there are literal citations in it and even the dialogue feels like it's cited. Um, so I really like it because it made me feel like I was sitting in a library obsessing over this one particular moment which I did a lot of in college. Yeah, I agree. I think um, I really like the idea of, like, I don't know, I, I I feel like when you're doing research, it gets really frustrating when you're looking for, you know, particular details to, like, back up your, your thesis or whatever, and you can't find them. And I kind of like the idea of just writing a book of historical fiction when you can't find the facts that you really mm-hmm. want to find. Yeah. You or know? if the facts <clears throat> that you find contradict each other, which right. like, we see a lot of that in mm-hmm. this. And I, yeah, I like the idea of, of finding some citations that are true and maybe like sort of fabricating or just, you know, in, inferring other citations, other ideas. Um, in order to kind of like weave this weave this story um and I also really liked the um the whole you know that it takes place over one night because I don't know I don't think that I knew that it doesn't I don't think it says it in the synopsis I thought it was two nights I guess it it is two because of they have the funeral but that's kind of brushed aside in the book oh you're right yeah Lincoln visits twice I thought those were separate nights are they not no, it's the same. I thought it was the same as far as the visits. But when they're talking about the party of him getting sick and yeah. then he passes away, then there's the funeral. And then that next night when they bury him, that's when he goes most of back it's taking in place. the same night. Yeah. Okay. I think I confused that. I read it somewhere in like a, re- in like a review or something and it was like taken, t- takes place over one, one evening. And I didn't, that didn't occur to me when I first started reading it. Um, or, you know, even through the first half, really, you're not, you're not sure. But then. Um, you know, you kind of get to the end and you're like, it's, you know, more, it's like dawn or whatever. And it's just like, it's surprising kind of, it was surprising kind of to me that it had only, the whole book had only lasted one evening. Yeah. 
And, and I will bring up as far as the citations and, and what makes this particular book so cool and also just kind of commenting on uh, an optimistic thought I had about literature in general. Not only is there some interesting aspects to the fact that it is written about this one specific time, but it is also interesting that this book was written now because when you look at some of the sources that were cited in here, I I had looked one up. Uh, I think it was in the section where there was a lot of descriptions about Lincoln's looks in particular. Um, And the book that it was cited from was from 2009. It was on Amazon. And that's interesting to me because, you know, it could totally change how a lot of the story was written as to how much information he actually had to use to write this book. And so it makes it exciting that like George Saunders is able to write something about a documented event, but still be creative about it because of the tools that he had now. And so it makes me optimistic about, you know, a lot of creativity because everyone says like all the music has already been done. All the books have already been written, but like there's always variances that present themselves. So I thought that that was cool about reading the book after finding out that a lot of those sources that he was using were from the modern age and not necessarily from that time period. So, uh, but one of the things I did want to touch on uh, now that we're moving a little bit deeper into the book is uh, we, we talked about this in the first episode, but we talked a lot about the tone at the time. And in part one, it really felt like there was more humor. We brought that up that, you know, it kept it lighthearted and it seemed surprising for a book that is about something that's so sad. But in this one, it really felt like things were more serious. I feel like at from the very beginning, one of the earliest parts of part two, we start realizing that the Reverend knows that he's dead. And there's a lot of dominoes that are set up that, you know, Willie starts going through the process of, you know, people explain to him that he needs to move on or even learning about the fact that he's dead himself. There was so much more that was more serious. So did that change your enjoyment of the novel at all? Did you like how that was handled? What What were your thoughts on the tone this time around? Do you agree or disagree? Um, I mean, I, I agree that it's sadder, uh, more sad. I have an English teacher. Uh, in the second half, of the novel I really like still really enjoyed it and I would argue I almost got like more into it because I feel like I really love the first half of the book and you can listen to our reactions in the other episode of the podcast but um a lot of the first half I was focused on just trying to figure out who everybody was and like keep things in line and I appreciated the like little moments of humor um but I was mostly just like, okay, who are the, who is this person? And I, like, I remember even at the beginning, um, I knew who Bevins and Volman were and, like, had them in my mind as very distinct characters. And then the Reverend was kind of, like, there, but I didn't care that much about him. I was kind of like, whatever. And then in the second half, you're hit suddenly with this, like, long chapter. I think one of the longest chapters without a real break. Um in which the reverend tells his story of like almost going to hell and then coming back to purgatory um and it's so sad and upsetting and i like i think it was the first time i felt like a very real connection to one of the characters um because it was so whimsical in the first half like bevins and volman their stories are also really sad um but something about that like him not understanding in that moment um i think actually pulled me into the novel more yeah and especially given the fact that he is a reverend and it was like what you thought it was a shoe in what yeah like (laughs) he was just like what what else could i have done but yeah i thought that was a very interesting dynamic and danny any thoughts on that yeah um i i also I, i think that it um it made me you know get even more into it in the second half but um i also yeah i also liked that i I thought it was it was almost more humanizing because they weren't being like whimsical and ghosty and you know like floating around Mm -hmm. in the graveyard they were being 
they were they're much more like real um and there was weight to a lot of what was going on because mm-hmm. there were act- actual consequences yeah absolutely and it, it i think also like it it finally kind of gives you some answers i feel like the whole the whole first half was kind of like a question like there were so many like how i mean the only person we really knew you know willie we knew for sure was dead and was there but everybody else we were still like in the first in our last episode we were like why are they all still there like we had so many questions and yeah i feel like it was kind of um it was satisfying to um to come to some conclusions and get some concrete um concrete answers uh in the second half yeah and it it did also help with the fact that in the first half, you know, there were the instances where it was whimsical, but there was also a lot that was grotesque in the fact that a lot of the ghosts had these physical traits of what was keeping them tethered mm-hmm. to the real world. But when they started having realizations about themselves, that's when they started becoming more human again and again with the consequences that we were talking about this wasn't really touched on in the summary but a lot of people did start to move on to whatever comes after when they upon those realizations upon those realizations and and that wasn't necessarily every single person which i thought was an interesting factor that some people were still so tethered Mm -hmm. to whatever it was that was on their mind that not everybody left but there was the uh matter what is it matter light blooming Mm -hmm. uh phenomenon Mm -hmm. and you know those parts were at at the same time you know we're we're talking that the tone was a little more different i wouldn't say that uh those were necessarily as sad because you got to know the characterization it was sad that you realized a lot of their potential was gone but every time somebody had that matter light blooming is that the right order of the mm-hmm. yeah so anytime that that happened they not only went through their past phases of them being younger but them being older too which i thought mm-hmm. was so interesting mm-hmm. that every single person had that and yeah. i don't know what you had taken away from that because it does kind of make a pretty significant statement that you know some of the people are talking about the deterministic quality of existence where they're like i had no uh like no choice but to sin it's just a part of who i am mm-hmm. and yet that also refutes the deterministic viewpoint from the fact that people still had lives to live afterwards mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it's not like they were determined to die when they did something else was going on that made it happen so did did you guys have any uh thoughts about that process like what what was going through your mind when you started seeing everybody going through that process like what were your first impressions on the matter blooming light matter uh, light blooming light phenomenon blo- <laughs> <laughs> is it matter light blooming or booming? i'm gonna i have the note here let me see i can't remember matter light blooming phenomenon yeah it's not booming i think it's booming. oh booming i That'd... feel like i read it as booming oh, I might have said booming. I... maybe i'm wrong though but also, I'm going to backtrack for like five seconds. I also want yeah, to backtrack. Please, real fast. please. Yeah, you talked a lot. Sorry. Go ahead. I just have a lot of thoughts. Um, the first thing I would, I feel like <clears throat> maybe we read the first section differently in how we interpreted it because, like, you call those moments gruesome of like talking about their physical deformities, and they definitely are gruesome. But in my mind, I that made it more whimsical because they felt like cartoon I characters. I thought it was funnier. Like. One of them has a giant penis. That's his deformity. That's erect all the time. Yeah. It's like, giant. That's that's not gruesome. That's just like, what's happening? Like, and so I think also that was part of the reason I didn't like care to get to know the reverend that much at the beginning was because he was kind of boring. Mm-hmm. Like he wasn't as whimsical and he just, his deformity was that he had like a sad, shocked face all the time. Mm-hmm. Like he was just like, ah. Um, but like we learn why, uh, in that second half, which is, I think part of why it made it so much more beautiful. I don't know. Is that I like, I literally kept being like, I don't care about this guy. He's boring. He's just trying to stop all the fun. Um, but then he was so consequential. Yeah. Yeah. I think he actually ended up being the one who like relates to people's fears about dying, like the most Mm -hmm. like it's 
it's kind of satisfying to think that, you know, you're like a bad person and you're going to go to a place if you're bad and you're going to go to a place if you're good. But the most terrifying part of his story for me was when, you know, he asks himself all these questions, the, per- the, the, the judgment, his judgment comes and they say, how did you live? And, and, you know, he tries to, he tries to be honest. Uh, and then he says, I've thought long and hard on what might've caused me to merit that terrible punishment. Um, and he doesn't know. He says, I don't, I did not kill, steal, abuse, deceive, was not an adulterer, always tried to be charitable and just, believed in God and endeavored at all times to the best of my ability to live according to his will and yet was damned. Like, yeah. oh, I don't know. I was pretty floored by his whole story too because it was just kind of like, he asks, he then follows, he asks all of these questions, a whole paragraph of questions. Um, and he just, like, he doesn't know. Yeah. And that's just, I think that's, really like could hit home for a lot of people is that like you know not only do we not know what happens when we die but like that could happen yeah yeah and especially for him that you know that was, he was a man of god it was essentially his job <laughs> to think about that all the time and then to be presented with that so that was an interesting commentary yeah. george yeah. saunders may have made mm-hmm. intentionally or not so know. so here's a question regarding that then is you know we hear from the reverend and and he does reference the fact that he was there when people were getting judged and it was very definitively uh a heaven or hell experience but like is it because this was also part of my questioning there of like well that's what i'm getting to but go ahead oh yeah and like i don't know that we like he's a reverend, he's a man of God, but the experience that he had in the afterlife doesn't necessarily seem like the biblical um mm-hmm. version of the afterlife. So wondering it like who or what is this deity that sits in a castle of diamonds up on a hill? Um and whether or not that affects his likelihood because he maybe worshipped a false god i don't know oh yeah well i was also saying i don't i don't even know how structured those are either and this is something that you know i wanted to to bring up is that you know we do get the instance where he sees both of them but apart from like the tendrils there's also the uh matter light booming phenomena that seems to happen to almost every single person and so i don't know how definitive those experiences are it seemed kind of confusing to me that there were so many different instances of people going one way or another that like is it even really just set at these two Mm. places well and he even um noted that his version of hell when the doors opened for him or when the little like demon angel things were speaking in his ear were worse than the person before him who also went to quote unquote hell. Right. So like maybe there are different levels of good and bad. What also did mention the levels with the tendrils because the ones that were part of the tendrils that were grabbing the young children were like multiple people talking Mm -hmm. about those sins that they thought were so deterministic to their personality. So it almost does say that. So I don't know uh, really like if anybody had a good idea of what happens next. And that might be a part that makes it so hard for people to want to move on because it seemed a lot more complicated than you're just good or bad. There are Mm -hmm. even deeper levels than that. Did anybody else second guess whether or not we should trust the reverend? during this passage because I that was half of what I was thinking I was like this is a beautiful story and if it's true like it's really sad and I it tells me a lot about his character but also the part of him like being able to come back into purgatory seemed a little unbelievable to me mm-hmm. so part of me wonders if he imagined this if I, that's really what happened that's what I was wondering too was that was kind of what like, I was getting towards is this just his version like is this just all in his head like is he making this up is this like his i don't know yeah i don't know i thought that too yeah i wondered that so it seemed like it was like there seemed to be a lot there were more levels than you know even we may know about yeah Yeah, no there's what is it i don't know what is that called in literature and 
a bias in for the author's but I don't know the the person who his it was his oh, personal like bias yeah <laughs> Jamie tell me about literature um, no, he's it's just, an it's just unreliable, unreliable narrator. narrator. Yeah, that's what yeah. I was saying. <laughs> well, because that's the interesting thing Author's is bias. Well, anything that happens in the afterlife does have somebody narrating it. So there's nev- never this like omnipotent person or omniscient being that's like I know everything that's going on. Everybody does have their own mm-hmm. biases, and they're not always of their own right mind. Because right, right. even a lot of times with the reverend, when he had uh, actually touched Lincoln he started remembering stuff about his previous life so that even Mm -hmm. compromises his reliability even more because he doesn't necessarily remember what had happened in a previous life like that also semi compromises your ability to trust his memory in the first place so yeah yeah (laughs) I don't know I was curious I I think that there's a lot more to unpack there and it wasn't something that I totally understood on this first go around because it seemed to be a lot more complex than I had even given it credit Mm -hmm. for when I was first reading so I just thought that that was an interesting point and we can leave it at that but at least we all understand that like this book goes a lot it wasn't just like face value yeah there's definitely more there yeah. yeah Uh, and so the second thing I want to uh, revisit from last week is we talked about the tense of the narration because there's a lot of past tense oh. of like this had happened, this had happened. But what was so interesting this time around is that we had the reverend narrating for a time and then he goes through that ordeal with Willie where Willie is getting grabbed by the tendrils and he essentially sacrifices himself for Willie and again, he's a part of that story even in those moments, but once it signifies that he did get taken, he's not in the story anymore. Yeah. And so, right, right. and and the same thing when we get to the end, Volman and Bevins, our dog, we're letting him, we're letting him free. We're going to get those toys in a second, but Volman and Bevins, they also disappear. So what, what, what does that say about the tense to you guys? Uh, Cause it, that also seemed to be kind of confusing because there still was a similar idea where, you know, they were still talking in past tense, but there were, present tense uh things that consequences yeah Yeah, i don't know i still kind of think i think that this is consistent with what i thought last week um that they were kind of telling wait did i i don't remember now you did you you kind of talked about that like it seemed as though it was a story going on they were kind of breaking the fourth wall of like yeah Yeah, no that's that's i this seems consistent with that depending on like what you actually think happened like what actually happens but to me like that's everything is happening in the present and they were just like narrate they were like watching it happen and also in it and also telling the story yeah (laughs) i don't know if that makes any sense but that's kind of how i was experiencing it as like things that were happening you know currently and they were talking about it and then you know once they were gone they were gone yeah yeah that's all it also because because the thing too is you know there could be some aspect of like it still being some sort of a play to some degree where there's some lesson to Mm -hmm. learn from it for instance because again the structure does play to this fact that it's like a script it's this dialogue that could be a stage production and they leave when their time is up but then you know there are also real life consequences that affect abraham lincoln because of the actions of these ghosts and Mm -hmm. so that that made the tense even more confusing in that regard for For me as well but it did feel like it was a present tense to me it felt like it was all real and it was in present tense because they were going but in talking about it, it it could still seem like a production of some sort that they are all just telling this tale of mm-hmm. of how these events shaped Abraham Lincoln in kind of like a bedtime story kind of way and like a morality kind of way because there's a lot of interesting philosophical points to be brought up with these various characters. I mean, I feel like it's like a it's like a Shakespearean tragedy or a comedy um, based on a true story. Based on a true, story. a true story. But like, because there's there's the characters doing the real things, but then also there's like those moments of aside, which is a real thing, like mm-hmm. in Shakespeare. No, yeah. 
in in a lot of plays where they like break that fourth wall and talk directly to the audience like everything pauses on the set and then they're like he doesn't know that i'm about to blah. <laughs> Um, he's got like a soliloquy. That's a direct Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shakespeare. That's Macbeth. I'm an English that. teacher. <laughs> Very specific. Bloobity blah. Um, Scene four. And then there's also, <laughs> there could be like a narrator telling you what the setting is, which could maybe be like the historical citations uh, as the narration of what's actually happening in the background. Um, I don't know. That's my yeah, I think that we're all right. <laughs> I mean, I, th- I really think that like, the whole point is that it's ambiguous. And but I also think a cool thing is that if you if you were going along thinking that this they were telling a story and you know they were telling it from their place at the end of the story and they were talking about it and talking about it, I think it's a huge cool shock when they disappear and don't return. Then yeah. you're just like, holy, I got to read it all again. Yeah, <laughs> like, the, the because, Reverend leaving made me do that. I was like, yeah. he can't really be gone. I, I, like, I checked I, the I, head. I read I was like, like no 10 way. more pages and I was like, well, I don't know. Wait, I, and I, it yeah. was, I think that's really jarring and I think that's a really, um, a really significant moment because you, when you realize that they're not coming back, you're just like, if you, if you, if you were operating under the assumption that they were telling a story and they were going to be there at the end because they, they start kind of like narrators yeah. I mean they are the narrators but they start like they're telling the story and they're going to tell this harrowing tale from start to finish and then they're gone and you know by the end of it yeah I, w- I feel like oh that sort of mimics maybe or adds to in a way the um, like what is the word I'm looking for the infinity the infiniteness of Purgatory, like of this, I like because they all talk in such vague terms about how long they've been there, and like we, like we said, we didn't even really realize that this all happened in one night. Like something about maybe the mixing of those tenses adds to a confusion about like how long we've been hanging out, and (laughs) people are still confused even in purgatory. Because like I said, even when some are like, "Oh, well, some of you are dead," (laughs) like they don't even realize that they are also dead because they're still in their own little thing. So maybe that's part of that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, yeah. Well, regardless of what it is, it was very powerful that they were able to leave because it opened up for what I thought was a phenomenal ending to this story. Uh, And we'll discuss this a little bit, but because we had heard so much from Hans and, and from the Reverend and, you know, we, we heard from all of these characters once they're gone, you're left with people that are left over in this purgatory state. And on the very last page, it opens the door for Thomas Havens, who ends the entire thing. And it's such a touching moment because he has a moment that gives some backstory on page 220, where he's talking about the fact that he was a slave in his previous life, and he had always been treated well by his masters and they gave him free time but he had this powerful moment where he was like I loved those free moments except sometimes they'd need me sometimes I'd have to go back in and he said it it was amazing to me that you know I knew what a taste of freedom was but some people experience that all of the time mm-hmm. and so you get a little bit of that and then when he goes into uh, Abraham Lincoln he starts to realize that the you know, everything that had just happened, all the grief that he had felt, really gave him more empathy. And we saw that through the book where he started realizing what it felt like to lose a kid. He started getting the perspective of all the ghosts. And Thomas realizes, hey, this guy might have felt the same way about me that other people had before, but he seems to be more open to my presence now. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stay with him. And he rides off with him kind of on a mission to you know, help Lincoln take the next step that he needs to for the war to continue. Cause we don't have any other, you know, indication that things are going to go well. Again, this is a restricted story where it ends at a, a point in time where there's still a lot to happen, but it's exciting, but it, but it's exciting that, that <laughs> there's the a, <laughs> there's a character here that's giving Lincoln some motivation supposedly and he's only given that ability because the door was opened up from people mm-hmm. leaving. So I don't know if you guys had any thoughts on that as well. 
the Civil War ended. Everybody knows that the Civil War ended with a slave ghost <laughs> convincing Lincoln. It's based on a true it's story. It's based on a true fucking story, guys. I'm sorry. Just needed to clear that up. Everybody knows. Um, I don't know that I have thoughts on that particular thing. I have thoughts on the ending, but not on... Well, I think we'll that go, that's, go for that, that's yeah. a beautiful part of it, but I don't have a lot of like deep personal musings about it unless Danny does then I'll just talk about other things I just have I mean I, I just wanted to at least share that because I thought the ending was great and I thought that it was only possible because the setup from all of that before we get yeah, the, no, we get the yeah. rules of the world basically for built sure, up the yeah. whole time to allow this event for Lincoln to have this like guiding ghost to take mm-hmm. on the next steps that he needs to take mm-hmm. to be the president that he was I thought that was really cool yeah I think that this is a really good example of like what could have and probably was like a very pivotal moment in his presidency and um like we talked about i think you talked about it brian last episode um where you know he like it's very humanizing for him to realize that you know there are people who you know who are sending their sons to die for the yeah. country and here you know he hadn't you know he hadn't had to with willie and he just died and he i think it was really i don't know I think that's a really poignant part too that like it's to to line up Willie's death with you know other Americans sending their their sons to war yeah. um you know to die for the country. That's my deep musing. Um I have a semi deep musing that will then move into other thoughts. <laughs> but um I think that it is a beautiful way to end the story. Um, but also I wonder if you guys had a similar feeling of like, I know that this is a better ending literary. I know that this is a better ending than what my mind cares about, but reading it, I, at this point in the novel, after all of that, like really gut wrenching stuff happened with the Reverend and with Bevins and Volman, I kind of didn't care anymore about Lincoln. Like, it moved on so quickly from these people just leaving the story entirely that I really, as a selfish reader and not as a literary critic, as a selfish reader, I wanted more to know about what happened to them after the light booming Mm -hmm. phenomenon than I cared about Lincoln leaving the cemetery, which I, like, every part of my brain knows that that's wrong and that this is a better way to end the story. (laughs) Like, I know that. I'm an English major, and I know that that would be disappointing for the author to give us all the answers, but I want to know. So that was part of my thought at the end. Um, Do you have thoughts on that, or should I move on? I mean, I I feel like that's fair. I I, I think it took me a little while to get to the point, because I had to go back and look at Thomas's previous instance where he had showed up, because I was curious. I was like, what what did he do before Mm -hmm. and and so like i i think that that's fair too i didn't feel as strongly about it because it you know you know we were with other people for so much longer but i think uh that there's so much of this story regardless of how important everybody else's stories are on that is centered around lincoln that to me it was perfect to do it in that way that it was also the next steps Mm -hmm. Because, like I said, it's so constricted to the fact that this is a one period of time that if Lincoln didn't have any other growth, you know, how does he get from point A to point B where, you know, the Emancipation Proclamation hadn't even happened yet at this Mm -hmm. point in history. So, like, this is the motivation to get there, there, there. So I understand, but, like, to me, that's why, yeah. I agree with you. Yeah, I know. That's the problem. I felt like such a dichotomy, like, in my brain of I know that this is good. This is a good ending. Yeah. But also I was disappointed with it. Yeah. Because as like a selfish reader, I just wanted him to tell me what happened to the people that I like had fallen in love with. Yeah. I think that's the point too, though, going back to like their endings being kind of jarring, you know, like jarring to the point where I had to go, like I looked, I kept looking for them, you know, kind of at the end, like Mm -hmm. at the end I had to go back and like make sure I had read everything right. And I think that's kind of the point that like, they they go in kind of a jarring way and these these people that you have like grown to like love a lot 
and want to know all of their stories. Like, you don't get to know all of their stories because we only got to see, you know, like 75% of it. It was this book is about Lincoln. Yeah. I know that you know that. But I know. That's, I feel like you lecturing. I'm not, not lecturing. Both of you. you. <laughs> but I know. I just am saying, re- I want to know the other things. The reason I didn't feel as badly about it is because I did feel some closure with the fact that we got to see their later iterations of their life and and yes, i feel like there's yes. a lot to learn from that and it did feel like a closure because it's like you did get to the end of of the life that they made was, it to the end yeah and and their stories had they made it was like a bittersweet thing like mm-hmm. had they made it to the end of their real life it would have been a, a good existence for both of them mm-hmm. for the main two we can all yeah. just hope for a good existence <laughs> so, <laughs> that's all we're really hoping for and and so like that that that's fair and i think that there was some remedies for me but i i understand where you're coming from on that but but just for us to uh continue on here uh and and this is something that we can elaborate a little bit more about you know what we were wanting more of or what we wanted to look more into uh, ultimately, this is a story with many layers, as we've come to realize getting to the second part. It's not as as simple as it was at the beginning. Like, look at the title itself and how it relates to multiple things. It's Willie Lincoln in, in this purgatory state and Abraham Lincoln in a state of transition himself because he's still in grief and there's still a lot more to get through to get to that next point. That's obviously just a small play into those layers. Uh, And while you can't enjoy the story solely for a history on Lincoln, there can be a lot more. And so were there layers that you dove into more than others that you were more interested in? Uh, Jamie, you were kind of talking about it with those characters. Uh, So were were there some layers that you dove into more? Which ones did you find you quote unquote explored more and which layers stayed more surface level? What, what were you more drawn toward in this book because there was a lot you could be drawn toward like personally I didn't get as involved with a lot of the backstories of the ghosts and I found myself drawn more to Lincoln than Thomas at the end those were the layers that I explored more once I was finished and so that was a small example for me but do you guys have any uh, of those layers you want to talk about a little more I basically already said it but like I don't maybe this is part of me not caring a lot about the Civil War. <laughs> I love history, but American Hot take. American history has just never <laughs> been something that like really, really draws me in. It feels boring and like a lot of old white men fighting about things. Um, so like in the Civil War. <laughs> I mean, it is white men fighting about things. They're, they're fighting over black men, but it's the white men that are <laughs> in charge. But black men were fighting, though. They were yeah, also fighting. But they, the in-charge people, the people we think about, yeah. Lincoln, oh, like, that's, he's an old white guy. Um, but so, like, a lot of American history, I just sort of, like, I don't know, I don't get that interested in. And I did, I really enjoyed reading the historical parts about, like, the night of Willie Lincoln's death, those citations. Um I did find really interesting, but I definitely was way more drawn to the stories of um, Bevins and Volman and the Reverend. Um, I don't know. Like, I kept... The parts that I read over and over again were mostly about... Um, uh, oh, no. Is it Volman, the one that's the second? The third? That's Bevins. Bevins. Yeah. Bevins. Roger Bevins the the third. third, Okay, yeah. Roger Bevins the third, um, with his like closeted homosexuality, um, and like the scenes of him describing killing himself, like those were the things that really pulled me in, that imagery and that like the like pure sadness of that at this time mattered a lot more to me than Lincoln. Um, I think for me the the storyline that pulled me in the most was actually like the like the historical quote unquote historical citations, um, because regardless of you know how, how many of them are actually real and how much were not, I think I really do like we talked about earlier like the idea of the author like combing through books about Lincoln and and the Civil War and 
like finding snippets about like the person that Lincoln was relating to like his family and his son rather than just like and you know how that may have informed his his presidency and you know vice versa and all of it and I think I don't know I really liked reading reading the citations um the ones that's that the author chose and the ones that he did he just straight up make some up like is I'd that have to check because I only had looked in enough to know that some well, were real right so I think I mean I, I don't know if I don't think that all of I mean I don't know they're not I don't think all of them are are factual we don't know we're not sure <laughs> but I I don't know I do really like you know the idea that he he looked for for you know he he combed like huge civil war books um looking for just one line you know and and it shows that there was a lot of like real and or fictional research done <laughs> um and yeah I, I liked sort of reading about Lincoln through that lens as though you know it wasn't it's not a it's not a history book it's like someone picked out the important parts of his person for me and I got to mm-hmm. read the most interesting um you know historical parts about him and and his relationship to the presidency did you find that you enjoyed those historical moments more than the like fake Lincoln moments of like like when the ghosts entered him and had his thoughts and like essentially George Saunders like wrote what he thinks Lincoln was thinking or yeah I was actually I thought about that because I read a lot of historical fiction and I, it doesn't always resonate with me when an author has done a lot of research but doesn't necessarily, I mean, you know, like, didn't speak to Lincoln. <laughs> so, like, you know, like, I like that George Saunders didn't really try in many places to be Lincoln, to, like, be in his head, except for those few times when, yeah. when he, he was inhabited by the ghost. But I, I really liked that he pieced together um, kind of like a... a mosaic of an idea about Lincoln rather than you know pretending to know exactly what Lincoln was thinking at all of these times yeah and the thing I liked about that is that it even when he did have those speaking through Lincoln parts because of the fact that he specifically had chapters where those historical citations were so obviously different from one another that it seemed to me to be a commentary of like who is anybody to say that they know what somebody was feeling or what their motivations are like I thought that it was cool that he included that and that was an important part of this book as Mm -hmm. well to be like look like take any of this with a grain of salt because as you can see everybody's assuming that you know Lincoln is a terrible guy when they can't even get something as factual as his eye color correct so Mm -hmm. i thought that that was a pretty cool aspect of the book that he's able to like put those in to be like yeah who knows (laughs) we don't know yeah i liked i liked that a lot i liked especially we talked about this in the last episode but i'm sure there were there were instances in the second um in the second part too but when they talk about the moon being Mm -hmm. there are like 30 citations and none of them can even agree yeah you know that on fact if there was a moon or not yeah Yeah. and And let alone like what are his motivations with like lincoln's hair color or his eyes or whether or not people thought he was the absolutely most disgusting person they'd ever seen or handsome (laughs) or super yeah super (laughs) handsome and like yeah, uh, or yeah. or if you look at him long enough, he's handsome. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, I liked that too because I, I think that it does. Like, I think he does a good job of kind of artfully calling into question the like, you know, great man stereotypes of like mm-hmm. history. Yeah, yeah. I'd also like to go back. Like, I genuinely think I will do this um, partially because I'm an English teacher and I want to use it for things. But I'd like to go back and find all of those citations um, to see, one, if they're real, but also to see, like, what year they're from. Like, if when we're reading that, like, he had bright blue eyes that had mm-hmm. a gray hue and he had streaks of gray in his hair, whatever. Like 2009. If, yeah, if that was written in 2013. <laughs> well, right? that, like or, I said, that was that that was that same section that they were talking yeah. about. Oh, that, yeah. The first one I looked was that, but yeah. we don't know how or extensive like, it is for every source. Which ones were yeah. from the 18-whatever. Yeah. Um, but I think that would be interesting just to see which ones came from what. Yeah. So that's the thing is at, at the very base level, what I took away from this book is that there are a lot of layers 
that you can sift through if you want to, which was super impressive. And I very much enjoyed it for that, that we all could find various things to focus in on because it does have this scattershot writing style that has segments in and of itself. And there's things that certain people would get drawn to. So with that, uh, we're we're running low on time here. So I just wanted to get to some final thoughts on the book. Uh, If there's anything you wanted to touch on real quickly and importantly, would you recommend it to other people? And if you so desire, uh, if you have a rating for the book, you can just say whether you like it or not, if that's going to be the case, but uh, just final thoughts. And uh, would you recommend the book to anybody else? Um, My final thought is a question. That's Um, not allowed. (laughs) Because we talked about this before we recorded, but we didn't actually bring it up. And I am convinced that this last part here, the last two chapters, we talked about Thomas has the last word. Everybody Mm -hmm. open your books. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But right before that, we have a citation from Manders, who is like the cemetery hand, like Watchman, watchman, night watchman guy. Um, And we've seen him write multiple times throughout the story. But Brian said this is coincidence. And I don't believe in coincidence in literature, especially when it's this, like, close together and such an important moment right at the end. Um, Because Manders is writing, and essentially writing a letter to somebody that we don't know, I don't think, unless that's answered somewhere earlier in the text that I have forgotten about. Um, But he writes to somebody named Tom, and... The way he ends it, I feel, is very, like, ambiguous and kind of confusing. And when I stopped reading, I couldn't decide if Manders was a ghost or not. And, like, I feel like we see moments where he talks to Lincoln, so he's probably not a ghost. But I also... He's also also cited. I know, but that could be a fake citation. We don't know... none of the ghosts are fake. They have fake citations. But we don't know. Maybe he doesn't think he's a ghost. Oh, no, that's true. Like, maybe he thinks he's outside of them. And so it's like, we don't Mm -hmm. know that for sure. So I don't I don't trust that. But he says right at the end. Oh, either way, it's unbearable. Oh, God, what a bind one is in down here. Tom, dear friend, Tom, I long for sleep. I await your arrival and hope these sad and morbid thoughts will soon fade away. Soon with the happy sight of our dear friend rising the sun. And I feel like that sentence in particular, right before the section that's written by Thomas, or that's Thomas's thoughts, and he's saying, like, Tom, I await your arrival, and Tom is riding down the hill with Lincoln. Like, that seems too significant to me to, like, mean nothing and be coincidence. So I just want... I guess that's true with Tom writing, that is... Yeah. yeah. I just, it feels... Or Thomas writing. It feels important, and, like, maybe Manders new thomas or i maybe there's some connection there that i want to know about and so if anybody has thoughts on that uh write them down in the comments please yeah comments that's my final thought because maybe that was answered earlier in the text and i missed it but i i sat there that was all i could think about when i finished the book for for uh manders correct manders yeah to have one of the last anything in the book would Seems be some would have some significance yeah why. i don't know what it is yeah. like but, i don't know but i agree with the fact that like it does raise suspicion because you know we've gotten rid of everybody else who's left of importance and then lincoln himself is a part of the last chapter even yeah. though he's not speaking so obviously there's like something there like so. the last sentence says tom like three times and then it moves into thomas speaking which i just like i don't believe that that's coincidence but also maybe i'm crazy yeah so that's my final thought i really like the book i would recommend it. Nice. I don't have a specific final thought like <laughs> I that. Just, we didn't get to a point where I could talk about no, that's that. Good. This is just a point to to bring up anything that may have not been brought up. So if you don't have anything, just your final thoughts on the book as far as your enjoyment of it and no, yeah, um, or I, lack thereof. I really, I enjoyed it for sure. I gave it five stars on Goodreads, which I don't, I don't, I rarely give books five stars, <laughs> um, and. Um. Yeah. I mean, I I really I really enjoyed every everything about it, and also would recommend it to anybody who's looking for specifically for like a novel that is like not written in a traditional structure. It's kind of a fast read, and it's a really it's written in a really interesting way, and um and there's a little bit of history in there too. Um, 
and it's based on a true story so obviously that's that's the most important part so yeah i, <laughs> true I definitely story. i definitely recommend it yeah i think uh my favorite part of based on a true story is like just a true i feel like normally when you say based on a true story it's that like this is a story a lot of people don't know about this is a true story right but like it's the civil war <laughs> we are aware no. yeah <laughs> anyway sorry <laughs> Uh, for me, final thoughts on the book. Um, I didn't rate this book on Goodreads. I think just because you guys have access, I, I want to save my thoughts for now. I always, I'm an open book. <laughs> I always think that endings, I've told Jamie this before, can be one full star in and of themselves. Oh, yeah. uh, and I, like I said earlier, I thought that that ending was phenomenal. Even if um, – I wasn't as grabbed on to a lot of the very specifics of the afterlife. I loved the world building that it allowed for that ending to even happen in the first place. Because regardless of how much you want to look into any parts of the book, they all are such a foundational aspect of where the story is moving, which I think is something that shows an author has control of the story. He never lost it on any of these disparate parts. They all found a way to relate in the end. So I thought the book was amazing because of that ending. Uh, and I will definitely be giving it five stars on Goodreads. I would recommend it. And I would recommend making it to the end. I know it can be difficult with the structure and, and how experimental it can be. Um, there's a lot of emotion here. There's a lot of ingenuity here, and uh, I, I'm glad that we read it for the podcast. So thank you guys for uh, indulging this pick for me, uh, and that moves us into our next episode next week. We're going – or next week. I keep saying next that. Week. Next podcast. Next week? Uh, could be next week. Um, but, yeah, Jamie's going to be leading that one, and you're going to be doing – um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> uh, I almost forgot the title. Yeah, that's book number two, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's a short one. Um, we did discuss doing it quicker. Yeah, so. it is very short. And there were, uh, on, on Reddit recently, there were a few posts on that book on the books subreddit that sounded intriguing to me. And there's some quotes floating around. So I'm excited because I already laughed at those. So uh, I have, mm -hmm. uh, um, high hopes for that. So... Yeah, with that, that's, this has been Lincoln and the Bardo on Beer Time with Books. Uh, Danny, could you hit us with that outro? Squeebidooby. <laughs> <laughs> the tradition continues. <laughs> All right, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.